and welcome to the Healthcare Real Estate Advisor podcast. I'm Andrew Dick. I'm an attorney with Hall Render, the largest healthcare-focused law firm in the country. Please remember the views expressed in this podcast are those of the participants only and do not constitute legal advice. Today, we will be talking with Chris Bodnar, the vice chairman and co-head of CBRE's Healthcare Capital Markets Group. Chris is one of the top healthcare real estate investment advisors in the industry. We will talk about his journey from college to his most recent promotion to vice chairman of CBRE. We will also talk about the healthcare real estate industry and where Chris sees the future. Chris, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Chris, before we talk about your current role at CBRE, let's talk about your background. Tell us where you're from, where you went to college, and what you aspired to be. Of course, yeah. So I uh, I grew up in San Jose, California, and uh, went to a large high school and was one of a few people who wanted to venture outside of California and try to find uh, a college uh, in a different state. And looked at a lot of co- a lot of uh, colleges on the East Coast, and eventually ended up touring uh, University of Colorado in Boulder, and just fell in love with the school and fell in love with the mountains too, and and picked up skiing and snowboarding when I was in college as well. Beautiful town. And as you can tell, I uh, haven't left the state yet. Well, tell us a little bit about your your education at UC. Uh, What did you study and uh, what were your interests at that time? So I I went into business. Um, I wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to do. Uh, I ended up getting an emphasis in marketing and uh, commercial real estate. And and really, the reason I, I try to get that emphasis in commercial real estate is that University of Colorado provided a program such that if you took a certain amount of classes while you were in the in, in school, you would automatically qualify to take your broker's license exam right out of college. And for me at the time, um, I was really only thinking about saving you know three percent on a on a commission when I bought my first house. Uh, had no idea I would I'd really kind of dive into this commercial real estate real estate sector and uh, still be in it today. Tell us about how you transitioned from college to working at CBRE. So University of Colorado did a, a really good job of bringing in uh, industry experts to talk to the students. You know, they would set up panel discussions uh, after class and, and bring in experts from a variety of different fields. And one of the, the panels that I attended had I think an appraiser, a banker, property inspector, and uh, an investment sales professional. And after listening to the panel, I really kind of gravitated toward the investment sales broker and, and felt like it would fit my personality really well. You know, for, for that position, you needed to have a solid base of sales skills. And, you know, I come from a family where my dad was, uh, you know, in sales working in Manhattan most of his career. And I, I felt like I had a solid base of sales skills, but what the investment sales broker also had was a strong base of analytical skills, which I also thought I brought to the table as well. And so I ended up getting an internship with, coincidentally, the, the gentleman that was speaking on that panel. Uh, it just so happened he was interviewing a bunch of different students at school, and uh, I was fortunate to, to land that internship actually while I was still in college. And and so what were you doing in, in terms of investment sales? Were you focused on a certain product type or was it whatever they ask you to do? Yeah, the, the, the first team I, I joined and 
that that's the gentleman who was on that panel who's now gone off and had a, a very successful career as a principal uh, in the commercial on the commercial real estate side but i i was kind of a when you start off you kind of got to do a little bit of everything but the team i was on was was purely investment sales focused on the denver market and as far as a product type goes we were, we had the most experience with with office and industrial properties and you know, obviously over time I started moving into the direction of, of healthcare, which we can we can talk about later. So you you finished the internship and and you were given an offer to join CBRE full time and and at that point were you just continuing your work in the investment sales market covering office and, and industrial product? Yeah, so for the first couple of years when I was on the team, it was, you know, doing office and industrial and doing a little bit of everything that they needed. You know, honestly, that included doing everything from graphic design work to building Argus models for the properties that we were selling. About two years into the, the job, you know, I went to my, my mentor at the time and, you know, also the team leader and, you know, told him I'd like to go after a, a segment on my own and, you know, brainstormed with him and thought about some different segments I could go after. I asked him about, you know, potentially uh, trying to do focus on more product in the Boulder market, came back to me and said, Hey, we've kind of got that all canvassed already. And, you know, I think we've got that, that section of the market covered at that time. We, we just, we were focused on industrial, but just really didn't have the same amount of industrial listings as we did office listings. And so I kind of went to him and said, well, how would I focus more on that? And he kind of, steered me away from that as well since we he felt like we had that covered and my last suggestion was Colorado Springs and he said we don't really have that covered so if you want to start canvassing that market go ahead and do that so i basically started commuting to Colorado Springs every weekend to to canvass that market and try to get some deals and really the one of the first deals i i came across i i stumbled across a medical office building and you know, I think the the group that owned it was a it was a group of physicians, but I think they liked the platform that I worked with them. You know, CBRE is a big company, but they really you know put their took me underneath their wing and um, you know explained to me the difference between medical office and traditional office. You know, they they started to ex explain to me the contract that they had with the hospital. They started talking to me about the payer mix surrounding the building and why they're located where they're located. Uh, they started talking to me about some of the referral pattern patterns that have been established in the building. They would get referrals from the, the primary care group in the building. They would refer patients into the surgery center, which they were also partners in the surgery center. They would refer, refer patients to an imaging clinic, pain management, to physical therapy. And so there was this ecosystem that was created in this building that, for, for lack of a better word, kind of created the stickiness of the tenancy and a higher probability that these tenants you know, weren't going to leave. And then as I was really kind of understanding the product type, I discovered that there was a buyer pool out there that, that really focuses on the sector as well. And these groups were national in scope and really gave me the idea that you know, perhaps, you know, there could be a case study or a business plan put together to be more of a national, taking more of a national approach to this this sector and, and really kind of turn the brokerage model on its head because, you know, for the last, you know, hundreds of years, real estate, you know, the, the first rule in real estate and investing is location, location, location. And, you know, we kind of took that in a way, away and said, well, how about we practice, how about we focus our practice on really understanding an industry and really understanding the buyer pool and wants to buy these types of facilities. And then we can partner people with people in different markets that have that, you know, intelligence at the local level. Chris, talk a little bit about 
when that was within your your career. Um, I, I think when we had talked before, you said you really started creating the vision for this group around 2006 or 2007. Is, is that right? Yeah, a lot of the vision happened in, in 2007, uh, 2006, 2007. And, and, you know, it ended up looking back being a really good time to start building a business and starting a bit, putting together a business plan. Obviously, we were at the, the beginning of the recession and things started slowing down a lot, which gave me time to, to focus on a, on a new business plan. I ended up leaving my team in 2010. And joined a partnership with my, my, one of my current partners, uh, Lee Asher, who's based in our Atlanta office. And it was a somewhat of an arranged marriage by, by the company. You know, I had a lot of experience working more on the private capital side, uh, working with high net worth investors, 1031 exchange investors. And Lee worked on an institutional team. So he was selling $100 million plus type buildings and had a really good relationships with some of that institutional capital. And our, you know, our personalities, uh, you know, melded very well together. Our strengths and weaknesses complemented each other really well. And like I said, we ended up, we started that partnership in, in 2010. So Chris, at what, at what point were you committed to this concept and, and that you told me you, you, you and your wife decided that in order to really build this business within CBRE, that, that you needed to move around the country, make connections in, in some of the major markets. Talk a little bit about that journey because I thought it was really interesting. Yeah. So it, yeah, it, it was a fun time. Um, we, like I said, Lee and I started our, our, our formal partnership in, in 2010. We had been working together before that. And in 2011, I kind of threw out a crazy idea to, to my partner and said, there's only so many investors and in, in capital groups that I can meet with in, in Colorado. I can't take the same guy to, to lunch, uh, you know, every, every other week. And, um, my wife and I, we didn't have kids at that time. Today we have, we have two, two young daughters, but at that time we didn't have kids. And so I, I, I talked to Lee and I said, well, what do you think about me kind of traveling the country for for a year and focusing on on a specific market one market at a time where I can dive deep and try to you know build some relationships with the capital groups out there build relationships with the owners of of healthcare real estate in those markets um you know build relationships with the providers and the health systems in those markets and also get to to know my CBRE colleagues in those markets better and try to you know form partnerships in those cities. So over the course of a year, we ended up moving and we drove this whole whole way. Uh, my wife and I got in a car, drove to San Francisco, stayed there for three months, drove down to Los Angeles, stayed there for three months, moved across country to DC, to Washington, DC, stayed there for three months and then finished the journey in, in New York. And it was just a, a phenomenal trip just to get exposure to those different cities and, and nuances of those markets. But more than anything, creating relationships in those cities that uh, you know still exist today. And how were the local CBRE professionals? Were were they receptive to this idea, or, or were they a little standoffish? And that you know you're coming in trying to make connections in their market. Yeah, it, it, I expected a lot of pushback. Uh, brokerage is a very territorial business, and we were taking a different approach to to, to the space. And, you know, I, I would, I would say that 
we were we were welcomed in in every city that we went and uh i have to credit you know leadership at cbre for for making that happen you know i i'll give you an example when i was in new york probably one of the most territorial places in the country to do business the managers of of that of the tri-state region you know had me come in and sit in in on their managers meeting and talk about what i was doing and what i was going after and you know these are you know 20 different managers throughout the tri-state region and some of the top brokers in, in Manhattan that were at that meeting. And to just have that collaboration, um, yeah, I'm not sure if that would that would happen at, at every other firm out there, but CBRE has done a really good job of, of keeping the mindset that we need to put the best, quote unquote, the best players on the field, so to speak. And what, what that really comes down to is doing the best thing for our clients. And Lee and, and myself and Shane and my other partners, we bring a level of expertise that brokers and other markets just don't have. And so uh, it's a partnership that they can leverage. And I think when we take that collaborative approach, they realize that we can all do more business together if we, we take, that, uh, take that mindset and uh, try to go after some business. We'll talk a little bit more about your team today, Chris. You've built a, a pretty deep bench. Um, how many people are on your team? What are they doing? Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, we, we have a, a great team now. Um, like I said before, it just it started off with, with me and Lee. You know, our, our, our next addition was a gentleman by the name of Ryan Lindsley. Uh, Ryan uh, was working on working at CBRE at the time, but he was work, working on more of the outsourcing of, of real estate functions for providers and, and not on the capital market side. His uh, his wife actually got into medical school at Georgetown and had to, to leave where he was uh, working, which was Pittsburgh, and it created an opportunity for us to pick him up. You know, shortly after that, we we, uh, we brought on Sabrina Solomiani. Sabrina had previously worked at uh, another uh, investment sales firm, uh, HFF, and uh, was a great fit for our team. Um, we recently just brought on uh, last year Shane Seitz, who uh, is a really well-respected healthcare real estate professional who's been in the business for 20 years, the last 10 years with uh, uh, one of the largest publicly traded healthcare REITs. And so that was a great addition too. But we, we have such a great team of graphic designers and financial analysts. Chris, um, one of the reasons we wanted to talk with you was because you have built one of the leading healthcare, real estate, capital markets groups. Talk a little bit about the type of services that you're offering to your clients. Yeah, we offer a range of, of services from acquisition to disposition to recapitalization strategies. Um, we're working with, with investors and healthcare providers with, with strategic capital planning for really all types of, of healthcare product, really everything outside of senior living. So Right now, we're working on deals ranging from medical office buildings to surgery centers to uh, rehabilitation facilities to behavioral health centers. Um, so it really runs the gamut. Uh, we also do some advisory type work with with health systems, and a lot of that has revolved around uh, assisting you know these providers in selecting a developer for uh, for new projects. And Chris, when we've talked before, you told me that you have a broad range of clients. It's it's not just hospitals and healthcare systems, but you're also working on the investor side with uh, publicly traded REITs, institutional investors. Uh, uh, tell us a little bit about the client base that you're working with. 
Yeah, we kind of break it down into five buckets. The first being the publicly traded healthcare REITs. The second being the, the non-traded healthcare REITs. The third being more institutional type of investors. And that can range from you know pension fund money to sovereign wealth funds. The fourth bucket would be high net worth private investors or 1031 exchange investors. Uh, and the last is obviously the, the providers, you know, the health systems and the physician groups um, that at different points of time can either be looking to acquire healthcare real estate or looking to potentially sell it. And Chris, one, one of the um, informational pieces that your group publishes is, is what's called uh, an investor developer survey where you where you go out to the market and and capture data from investors and hospitals and healthcare systems and and, and you compile that data, and uh, it's one of the, the leading reports in my mind. Talk a little bit about um, the, the 2018 Investor Developer Survey and then, then the type of information that, that you've gathered for 2019. Yeah, so we, we've been doing this survey for over 10 years now, and it, it, we did it with the mindset that there, there's so much research that's you know done in our sector that all of it is looking backwards. And we felt like this survey could give us an indication, you know, indication of what uh, could happen for, for the upcoming year. Uh, the survey, you know, asked a series of, you know, 25 questions ranging from, you know, what does, you know, development look like for the coming year to, you know, what do, what, what do cap rates look like for, uh, you know, behavioral health facility or a class A on campus building? So it's it's been a, a you know a great way to to understand where where the market might might be going. But I, I would say you know I have two trends that we've seen that that have been prevalent over the years is you know one is the amount of capital that's that's coming into the sector. We do ask a question about um, how much each group is allocated to 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 the healthcare real estate sector for investment. You know that has continued to increase year over year. Uh, substantially. And the other one is, is just the, the on-campus versus off-campus valuation of, of real estate. And, you know, if you were to look at, you know, our survey 10 years ago, there would have been a pretty large spread between the way investors look at pricing for an on-campus facility versus off-campus. And that spread has continued to narrow uh, year after year as, you know, off-campus becomes, has become a product type that's been much more accepted. I think a lot of that has to do with where uh, health systems are, are looking to place, uh, you know, where to where to place their real estate and where to plant a flag. So those are probably two two of the bigger trends that we've seen happen and you know come back to us in in the responses to the survey. We're just sorting out the 2019 responses now uh, and expect to uh, get that that publication out here in the next few weeks. Chris, do, do investors follow some of the reimbursement trends? For example, when you and I have talked before, you know, the on-campus versus off-campus distinction can be important from a, a reimbursement perspective when we talk about provider base space. Do the investors look at that in, in their analysis, for example, with medical office space? If a hospital is the tenant and uh, the hospital's treating that space as provider base space? Yeah, so you know, we, we talked about the spread narrowing between on campus and off campus. You know, obviously reimbursements and specifically 
Section 603 of the, the Bipartisan Budget Act, you know, being upheld and kind of get the getting the final ruling uh, the end of last year that went into effect the beginning of this year. I, obviously, reimbursements are different for for on campus versus off campus. And for some groups, that's very important. You know, there are some some REITs out there that are very focused on the on campus product type uh, because they feel that the it's a higher margin business for for the providers. Uh, on the other hand, there's a lot of institutional funds out there that you know are basically taking the approach that they want to follow the, the the hospital. So if the hospital is looking to place real estate in a in a better growing market with a good payer mix, while the the reimbursements might not be the same, they may make up for it in volume based on you know planting a flag in a market where there's not much competition. Chris, uh, o- over the years we've seen certain transactions, um, some of the larger transactions be considered off market. And when I've talked to you before, I, I, I always ask the question, you know, is there a trend in, or, or of, of a number of off, uh, off market transactions occurring? Is, is that trend increasing, decreasing? And what, what are the pros and cons of, of off market transactions? Well, for my benefit, I hope they decrease, but, um, huh. no, you know, it, it's, it's, um, you know, it is something that happens when you're in a, in a niche market, right? If you, you know, you go to these conferences focused on healthcare real estate around the country, you get a pretty, you know, quick view on who are some of the active investors in the space. And, you know, some of those groups do get approached directly. You know, we're obviously a little biased here, but, but do feel that a lot of times money has been left on the table and taking that approach. We do feel that, you know, running a competitive process and, Taking a, an institutional approach and, and underwriting can allow an investor to look at things differently and, and potentially, you know, create, uh, you know, some, some more proceeds from a deal than they otherwise wouldn't. But, you know, if you look back for the last year, you know, we've been able to increase, you know, a buyer's final price by around five to seven percent. Uh, on average, uh, over the last year. And, and that's purely by creating that competitive bid process where you, you take an offer and, and you, you try to push them further to, through a best and final to get to, uh, get to their higher, higher price. You know, obviously there, there are other things outside of price that I think are important to look at. You know, we're, we're not attorneys, but we, we do see, uh, a lot of the points that are negotiated in contracts around the country and, we know what's what's market for for deals and what's been agreed to in the past, and hopefully we're that conduit to, to help bring parties together uh, and get our our clients the best possible deal. So I, I think those those off you know off market deals happen, but you know when they when they do happen and and you know they fall through, they, they don't have somebody right behind them to step back in, and um, you know that's the benefit of running a process and you know having multiple buyers at the table. Talk a little bit about uh, some of the larger healthcare REITs um, investing more in the life sciences industry. Is 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 this a trend that will continue in the future, or is this just a a step forward to try to diversify their their portfolios? Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's probably multiple things. You know, obviously for the, the REITs that have exposure to the multiple different product types. You know, this is a way to, to further diversify their, their healthcare REIT. You know, life sciences is a, is definitely a growing business. Uh, it's, it's, it's very different than, uh, 
the seniors housing and, and medical office, which, you know, are, you know, located in, in, you know, every market around the country that has a population that needs to be cared for. You know, life sciences is more focused on the, the talent pool, you know, the education of, of the workforce and, you know, the funding that's being provided by the government and where that's located. Uh, you know, what companies are there that they can build off of. Uh, and that's why you see, you know, a lot of the life sciences product located in, you know, primary core markets, the, the Boston's, the San Francisco's, the, the Seattle's. Um, we've even seen more product type pop up in, you know, the Los Angeles, Southern California markets, Houston, you know, parts of upstate New York have, you know, created tax incentives for companies to move there. Uh, so it's a different, very different product type, but it's a, it's a growing segment of the markets. And I think a lot of the REITs are looking at, you know, the multiples that they can achieve you know, for each product type that they own within the region, whether it's medical office or senior housing or life sciences, you know, life sciences is trading at an aggressive multiple. And, you know, I think getting more exposure to that sector helps, you know, diversify the REIT. Chris, you've been in the industry for uh, at least 15 years. What are the biggest changes that, that you've experienced during that time period? Yeah, for, for uh, you know, healthcare, real estate, you know, I mentioned this previously regarding just the the evolution of capital 10 years ago if you were to you know look at this sector you know healthcare real estate was considered a an alternative asset class and whenever you hear hear the words alternative a lot of investors think that they're going to get a higher yield there's more risk involved with it and the opposite is really proven to be true you know healthcare tenants don't typically move that much um, they're highly invested in their space. Their, their patients are location sensitive. And, you know, if you look back, you know, over the last 10 years, you've seen the product type perform really, really well in, in periods of, of, you know, economic uncertainty. You know, the last recession, healthcare, real estate performed very, very well. And so the way investors are looking at healthcare real estate has really evolved from, you know, a quote unquote alternative asset class into really more of a core core asset class. And so we've, we've seen the pricing for this product type evolve as well. And where it was pricing as an alternative type of deal, now pricing more like uh, a core product type. So, you know, the demand for these assets has continued to increase. And, you know, the other thing we've, we've, we've noticed over the years too, is that, you know, it gets talked about a lot, but, you know, there's been significant merger and equity, you know, merger and, and acquisition activity within the industry over the years. And, um, you know, if we were to look at a, a rent roll for a medical building 10 years ago, you know, it was a, a bunch of smaller independent physician groups occupying those buildings. And as time has, has, you know, moved on, you look at that rent roll today, and you're seeing a lot of consolidation that's taken place. And uh, the average square footage of each tenant has gotten larger um, as there's been that consolidation. And a lot of the, the independent practices have been taken over by the, the, the hospital. So for those hospitals that you know, have good, strong balance sheets and you know, income statements, you know, it, it has acted, frankly, as a credit upgrade to a lot of investors in the space as well. Chris, I always like to end these calls with, you know, on a high note. Talk a little bit about uh, some of the, the the transactions that you're most proud of. 
Yeah, one that, that always sticks out in my mind is the, the monetization that we did for Catholic Health Initiatives, uh, CHI, uh, in 2016 and 2017. And, it, it, you know, a couple reasons. One, it's, it's, it's the largest health system monetization that, that's occurred on record. And it was a, a monumental effort to get that one across the finish line. A lot of planning that took place and it's, it's very rewarding to go back and look at some of the presentations that we, we put forth to the CHI board, you know, showing them what type of pricing we thought we could achieve uh, on a, on a, you know, very large grouping of assets and under the time period that we thought we could achieve it and being able to execute on, on that, um, was, was highly rewarding. But I think what was even more rewarding was the, the people, um, and the relationships that were created. I was, you know, spending a lot of time in, in, in CHI's offices and, and got to know them very well. And, you know, now consider a lot of those people close friends. Uh, the buyer for, for that deal, uh, was Physicians Realty Trust. And, uh, we had done, you know, a couple of transactions with them previous to this, but this is the first big deal that we did with them. And, and again, when you're working on a transaction of that size, uh, you're on the phone with these, these folks, uh, day in and day out and meeting with them in person. And you really get to know, um, the people that work there and, you know, they've created a, a great group over at Physicians Realty Trust and, you know, they were a fun group to work with. And, you know, I hate to say this, but, you know, I, I tell some of my clients that it's probably a, a good deal at the end of the day when both parties walk away equally unhappy. Um, but this is one of the deals where, you know, both parties walked away equally happy, you know, truly a joint effort to get that one across the finish line and uh, uh, great relationships were built. So that's probably the one that sticks out in my mind the most. Chris, you, you were recently promoted to vice chairman of CBRE. That's a, it's a huge accomplishment. Uh, talk about what that means for you and, and your group. Yeah, it, it, it's a great honor. Um, obviously, it's a, it's a big title and, uh, you know, titles aren't, you know, really don't mean much, but it does showcase, you know, the work and effort that, that I've put in, you know, from, from the beginning and, and the risk that, you know, Lee and, and the rest of our team took. You know, I, I don't think I could have got, I know I could have got where I am today, uh, with, without the help of uh, a phenomenal team that, that I work with and, some some great mentors in the in the space that have guided me throughout my career. So you know, getting a title like that, it, it, it's humbling and uh, you know it, it, it's a great honor. Uh, but uh, I try I try not to think about it too much. <laughs> Chris, uh, looking forward, where do you see yourself and your group in five years? That's a great question. Obviously, the the healthcare industry is you know always moving and, and evolving. You know, we do a lot of, we do see a lot of growth in, in this sector. Obviously there's way more demand to, to, uh, invest in this, this product type, uh, than there is supply. But when we first started looking at, you know, our business plan and getting into this space, one of the things that, that stuck out to, to me and Lee as we were putting together, um, you know, business plans and, and, and whatnot was that if you look at other industries like the financial industry and you look at, uh, the percentage of assets that they they own versus lease, and you look at a Wells Fargo or a Chase or a Bank of America, they're substantially more more heavy on leasing uh, real estate than they are owning it. And the opposite is really true for a lot of the not-for-profit providers. 
uh, in the market. You know, they have maintained over the years that they want to control the real estate and they've, they've had the, the luxury of being, you know, being able to do that over the years. You know, things are changing in the industry. Obviously reimbursements are changing and, you know, the margins that they were achieving, you know, years prior might not be the same margins of the future. So there could be better uses of that capital. And, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, an outright sale or more of a, a partnership or joint venture that, uh, you know, some of these providers might explore. We, we do, we are, we, we do believe that there will be, uh, more activity in the market over the years. And if you just look back over the last 10 years, the, the transaction market has doubled. Um, and we do project over the next five to even maybe 10 years, the market will double again. So there's huge opportunity in this sector. And, you know, hopefully we're poised to take advantage of it. Chris, I've, I've really enjoyed talking with you today and, and getting to know you. Um, how can folks learn more about you and your group and uh, how can they contact you? Yeah, the probably best way is just email Chris, uh, C-H-R-I-S dot Bodner, B-O-D-N-A-R at C-B-R-E dot com. You know, really appreciate the opportunity to talk with you. And if anybody has any questions, I'm, I'm more than happy to answer them. Well, thanks to our audience for listening to the podcast on your Apple or Android device. Please subscribe to the podcast and leave feedback for us. We also publish a newsletter called the Healthcare Real Estate Advisor. To be added to the list, please email me at adick at hallrender.com.